Welcome to the Growing With Purpose podcast. I'm Paul Spiegelman, and we're going behind the scenes with very special leaders, learning about what shaped them into who they are in business and in life. My guest today is Hai Nguyen. Hai is the co-founder and head of product at Textimo, an automated calling and texting service. Hai focuses on creative ways to help customers through design and engineering while building a company that is in it for the long haul. Textimo has been part of the Small Giants community for years, and they were named a Forbes Small Giant in 2018. Welcome, Hai. Hi, Paul. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Oh, it's so good to, to be with you, and I can't wait to get into your story. Automated calling and texting. Uh, we all are familiar with that. <laughs> so uh, tell, tell me about the business yeah. and, uh, yeah. and what do you guys do today? Yes. Uh, yeah, I feel like every time I uh, explain what we do, I have to add this caveat, you know, but <laughs> we do automated calling and texting. It's a you can, we started out by uh, doing just uh, phone calls, so you can kind of think of the same technology as robocalls, but really for a different purpose. You know, we want to um, uh, send messages that people actually want to receive, so you can kind of think of schools needing to close because of snow. We'll, uh, they'll use our service to send a message to, out to all the parents. Um, or business needing to, uh, recently with the pandemic, lots of businesses needing to, um, you know, uh, send messages out to their employees or warehouse workers, uh, letting people know that someone had COVID and they need to uh, quarantine or, or stuff like that. Important messages. Yeah, the uh, distinction is really important because, yes, we all get annoyed by the unwanted uh, text messages or, right. or calls. But if we're honest, the message that we get from organizations that we trust are really important and useful for us at times. So, uh, so I, I think what you guys have done is really uh, great. And in terms of the business itself, talk about uh, size and scope. How many employees yeah. do you have? How many how many messages do you send in a yeah. year? <laughs> we we well we we're kind of this year will be our seventeenth year. So for a technology company, that's kind of like ancient, I think. Um, but we're uh, almost at 40 employees this year. Um, gosh, I don't even know the exact number of, we send millions of messages a week. So it's, it's uh, wow. quite a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how did you guys start? I know uh, your partner, Brad Herman, well, also yeah. really involved with us, but how did you guys start Textimall? Yeah, well, um, Brad and I actually knew each other. We've known each other for a long time, since 2001. I had, I had graduated uh, college and uh, was in Ohio, and um, my, my dad died. And so I moved back to Texas to take care of my brother. And um, when I moved down here, I worked for a startup. This is during the dot-com boom. And uh, that startup was their sole mission was to IPO. So um, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a great experience. You know, my, uh, one of the things that clued me into um, that I needed to find another job was my paycheck bounced. <laughs> so oh, it was wow. kind of that, that kind of environment. So um, 
after my paycheck bounced a couple of times, I, I went and looked for a new job. And that's, that's where I met Brad and uh, a company that Brad's dad started called TI3. They did um, software services for the staffing industry. And Brad actually interviewed me for that job. And, and that's where I met him. That company ended up doing really well. And after a few years, got purchased by a bigger company. And I kind of saw the changes in the company, not, not in our division, but just having to answer to kind of a bigger entity and, and kind of losing a little bit of our uh, autonomy and, and, and just you know, having to deal with a, a larger company, I kind of saw the, the downsides of that. And so after you know, four or five years at the, this bigger company, I was ready for something new. And actually, this is kind of a funny thing that happened the, in July of 2005. I had I had already was looking for something new and, and thought that maybe I wanted to go back to school to, to get a fine arts degree. I had been seeing uh, this girl for a few years now and, and thought that it was time to propose to her. So I, I, I went up to her and I, and I said, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about quitting my job, going back to school for art and also would you like to get married <laughs> you know and so it was this weird uh this weird thing that happened in one week where I I quit my job and um and proposed to her and, and all that stuff she was really supportive but luckily she was working at the time she was supportive uh, of my decision to to kind of do something new I, I had applied to UNT and was ready to start classes in the fall and then in, in July, Brad, I guess, was feeling the same things, you know, wanting some, uh, wanting a change in, in, in his work, work life and career and had uh, kicked around a few business uh, plans and ideas. And he, had, he settled on this one and he asked if I wanted to join. And um, he's actually kind of hurt by this. I, uh, he worked really, really hard on this business plan and, and was hurt that I never read it because I just asked, um, hey, who's going to be involved in this startup? And he said it was him his dad and this other engineer that I, I really respected. And as soon as I knew it was him and his dad, you know, I was like, okay, well, I'm in. <laughs> it didn't read the business plan. So he's, he's always <laughs> joked that he he's, uh, spent all this time and I never read it. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, and that really goes to what Textamall is about now, because you chose to go that route. Sounds like you, you take a, took a few risks. One is to quit your job and propose in the same week and, and hope that your wife-to-be would, would be accepting of that. And, right. <laughs> and then you take this, this uh, role as a founder of Textamall without even reading the plan. And that's, that's based on people and people that were involved. And you guys have yeah. built the company as a culture-focused, people-first business in, in really a, uh, a technology world, a technology company why that focus? Yeah, and, and I think like maybe I'm just more, uh, I tend to value the, the relationships and the people more, I guess. And so in, in terms of risk, maybe I fall more on the spectrum of more willing to take risk. And also at that time, you know, I wasn't married, didn't have kids or anything like that. So it was maybe a, an easier decision to kind of uh, start this venture. But I think, you know, the, when we were at this bigger company, it, it was just, you know, I kind of saw um, 
what didn't work and what what we what I didn't like about it. And so when Brad and I started this company, we we knew what we didn't want to do, you know. And caring about people really started with his dad. I mean, Brad's dad really just showed me how how to you know lead a company uh, with real caring about people and he shared financials and you know created this sense that we're all in this together and we're all uh have the same goals and 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 kind of marching uh to the same spot he was just really really good at that and showed me how how valuable it is to foster these connections uh with with people in the company um he was kind of brand i'd think back about that and it just seems like his dad was doing all this doing this culture stuff, even, you know, in his earlier in his career, you know, before it's, I feel like today it's much more uh, commonplace and an accepted thing that this is what, what companies need to do. But back then it was, I think, really rare. And we, we learned it from him. Yeah. He was a little before his, his time set a great example. I remember visiting your offices in the North Dallas area uh, a few years ago. And I think this was maybe an older location and I noticed up on the wall what you guys term your manifesto. Right. Uh, I, was, I was so impressed uh, with that. Tell me about the impact the manifesto has had for Textamol. Oh, man, it's, it's one of our core artifacts that we always refer back to. And the way it came about actually was it was around the same time that Brad and I discovered Small Giants. Actually, we were going to... Um, an ink conference and during one of those ink conferences you know we we learned about small giants but also uh, we met this great company that that focuses on brands and i struck up a conversation with them and um talking about how important purpose is to to a company and how that that should be core to um to the company's brand and they, they were kind of preaching the same message and and what happened was that, you know, sometimes when you meet people at conferences, it's kind of like you keep in touch and you kind of move on and forget about it. But meeting them really struck me. And I ended up following them on Facebook, I think, at the time. This was years ago. And they, I saw this post where they posted a picture of something that I recognized. And it was like a sign in Dallas. And so... And they weren't from Dallas, so I knew this. What? Uh, so I reached out to them, asked them, "Hey, are are you in Dallas? You know, uh, if you are, come by and say hi." And they, so they, 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 they were on this crazy road trip across the country. They're a little bohemian, so but they were uh, they were on this crazy road trip across the country. Happened to be in Dallas. I, I invited them to our office, and we it, we weren't planning on working together or anything, but you know, we just had a great conversation, and I was telling them. Hey, we 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 have this culture, but we're really not communicating it to uh, on our website. Would you help with this? And they ended up, you know, just staying with us in our office, working in our office for a, a couple weeks, uh, maybe almost a month, to to kind of not only help communicate our, our culture on our website, but help come up with some of these artifacts that that, that we have today. And the manifesto was one of them. The way that we we did that was they interviewed everybody in the company at the time. And I, I think there were probably only, I don't know, 12, 12 to 15 employees at that time. And they asked everybody, what what is what does it mean to work at Colomal? We were named Colomal at the time. No. Uh, 
and uh, what makes Kalamal special? Those types of questions. And through those interviews, they kind of crowdsource all of these one-liners, you know, uh, like everybody has something important to say. And we came up with about 50 one-liners and Brad and I actually were not part of this. So this is like, this came from all of the employees, which I think makes it so much more powerful. But we came up with about 50 and we narrowed it down to, you know, 10 to 12 that we, that we felt were really strong and put it all together in a single document. And we were kind of kicking around, well, what do we call this thing? And that's when, um, that's when we, we kind of thought, Hey, this, this is our manifesto. This is what we should call it. And, and that's kind of where, where that document came about. And how do you blend that or differentiate that from core values or things like that, that many yeah. of us have in our vision statements? I, you know, I think the, the, our manifesto is just a reflection or another way to reinforce our core values. If you think about some of the lines on there, they don't conflict with the core values at all. It's just another way to reinforce it. And it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a way, you know, with core values. And when I think about culture, it's, that's what I think culture is in a company. It's not like, although we do do this, we, we like to have fun, have a ping pong table, do happy hours and all of that stuff. But really, that's not what culture is to me anyways, you know, it's, it's really about our, our core values, what, what we hold as important as a group, uh, what's non-negotiable, you know, it's, it, it, not everyone is going to agree with these core values. Uh, but if you do come, this might be a place uh, for you here uh, at our company. The manifesto is just another way of restating the core values, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's a beautiful vehicle for communication and reminders about what's important. I've been always so impressed with that. Uh, hi, I want to take you back uh, to learn what influenced you to be the kind of mindful leader that you are today. Uh, talk about your upbringing. Uh, I know you your family immigrated, um, and uh, what kind of influenced you growing up? Yeah, I uh, I was born in Vietnam. My Parent, I was born in 1975, which is the same year that uh, South Vietnam fell, Saigon fell. And so during that time, there were a lot of people that they called them boat people that just fled the country. So we were we were part of we didn't leave right away, probably because I was born in 75. And so I was too young. My, my dad was in the military in South Vietnam, so he was part of that. And that was a very, um, to be in the military at that time was very dangerous and scary. And so he had to, um, he actually was, uh, captured and put into, uh, they call them re-education camps, you know, and was there for a year. And he, he ended up escaping and after escaping, figuring out a way for us to, to leave the country. And, Luckily, my, my grandfather was, he, he was a fisherman, so we had access to, to boats and knew the waters and, and things like that. But other families weren't that lucky, you know, that they, it, pretty much they had to, what they had to do was just sell everything they had and give it to somebody and hoping that they would take them out and, and hopefully get picked up by, by another ship. Uh, but a lot of times they would just take 
all their money and and turn them back into the government. So it was quite dangerous and you didn't know who to trust and so forth. But we had our own boats and and uh, my dad arranged us to leave with along with other family members. We left Vietnam and uh, we we didn't actually get picked up by an allied ship. You know, that, that was something that we were hoping would happen, but it didn't happen. And we ended up, um, you know, going by boat all the way to the Philippines and ending up in a refugee camp in the Philippines. We were there for about a year and then uh, a church sponsored us to, to come to the, to America. And we, we um, settled in, uh, in Pennsylvania, which is where the, the church was. We were very Catholic at the time, or still are, and that was, uh, I, I assume, a, a common thing. We we ended up in a in a really small town in Pennsylvania called Latrobe, and it's home of Rolling Rock, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, I've heard of that beer. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I we ended up in Pennsylvania, and I was I don't remember any of this journey, which which maybe in one sense I'm grateful for because I, I could imagine it's, it's very traumatic. Uh, but I, I, I um, have been able to piece all these, these things together from talking with my uncle, my dad's older brother, and some other family members that were part of that. And, and he did this when he was you know, in his 20s, so I can't even imagine what that must have been like. Um, we, uh, we ended up in Pennsylvania. He, he ended up going to college getting an associate's degree and and i you know i started kindergarten in in the trope what kind of influence do you think those events had even though you may not be able to remember the details but the uh the courage the resilience that was required by uh, your dad and your family to to make that move had to have an impact on you oh yeah I, i you know now, what as I'm older and hopefully wiser, I look back and it. I think it does give me a lot of strength. You know, when I'm when I'm going through something tough today, you know, I kind of think back at at what my parents went through, and it just doesn't seem to measure in comparison. And so it it, it helps give me that strength to kind of uh, tough through things and see see things through to the end because I, I just know that there are other much bigger and harder challenges that, that, that my parents had to go through. Yeah. What about any other, uh, any early, you know, once you were in the United States, settled in, became more comfortable, uh, you went to uh, college yourself, uh, any mm-hmm. other influences through school or early jobs? Yeah, I was, I think, a, a very normal, average kid growing up, you know, and, and also... My parents were just, I mean, they were immigrants, and so they were just trying to survive. And so it's not like today where you have this benefit of social media and we're like second-generation immigrants now. And so there's so much more information about how to, uh, you know, how to adapt to this new culture and society. But at the time when I was growing up, we were just, my parents were just trying to survive and learn a new language and learn how to raise, you know, uh, they were they were Vietnamese trying to learn this new culture and raising an American kid pretty much because that's that's what I felt I was, you know. Um, I had one one foot in you know at home I was Vietnamese and when when I was in school I, w- I was 
very much American. So straddling those two cultures, I think, um, was difficult for me. And I probably gave my parents a really hard time as well <laughs> growing up. In terms of uh, jobs that, that influenced me, um, I can remember one summer job that I had in college. I had a cousin that worked for Honda of America in Ohio, and I needed a summer job. And I asked him to see if I, he can get me a job at the Honda plant. And he did so. And, and I started one summer and I didn't know what I was going to do. And I had thought that I was going to get some, you know, cushy office job or something like that. But I ended up working on the assembly line. And it was uh, a really formative experience for me because I, I just really enjoyed work. And I just wanted to understand how things worked. I learned all the different stations in, in my area. Uh, but when you're on the assembly line, my job was to basically put on, for, for that summer, was to put on the passenger side door of a Honda Accord. And so uh, if you bought a, uh, a 1994 Honda Accord, there's like maybe a 30% chance that I put on the passenger side <laughs> door. <laughs> uh, um, but when you're on the assembly line, the line constantly moves. And after a while, I, I got really good at putting on the door. Sometimes the door would give, give me problems and, and I would have to take longer. But usually the door would go on pretty, pretty smoothly and you'd have extra time. And so you, I would put on the door and then sit in the passenger seat, the passenger front seat. And then the guy to my left would also, he would be putting on the driver's side door and he would put on his door and then he would sit in the driver's seat and we would both ride the car down the assembly line to where we would pick up our next door. Well, during that time, you know, you would talk to people. I would talk to that person next to me, you know, like all throughout the day, you know, uh, what his life was like. And these were people that worked in the plant were, were very like, uh, you know, a lot of them were farmers at one point and, you know, they were just hourly workers. And and I remember talking to one of the, the guy next to me and, he, and I was like, hey, this is really, really fun. I really like doing this. And, you know, I'm, and, and um, you know, maybe I'll have a career at Honda or something like that. And, and he just looked at me and he said, no, you stay in school and you finish school and, and do work, work at a job to where you're not doing manual labor, you know. Mm. And that really struck me like, you know, uh, how much, how hardworking he was, but also the value that he saw in education and, and, um, uh, and opportunity. Uh, and that that kind of just set me on this path of really appreciating where I was at the time and the opportunities I had. Yeah, uh, the importance of education, uh, of course. And you've turned into um, a really uh, impactful leader in so many different ways. And one of the things I've known about you, Hai, is you're also a man of many interests, you know, you're, mm -hmm. uh, you have great style, you're, <laughs> you said into art, and design and, um, and, and restaurants, we've talked about restaurants, mm -hmm. right. Um, so um, how do you balance all of that, this, this ability to, to lead a company and lead the people of a company, but also mm -hmm. just build a, um, a wonderful, curious life? Yeah, I don't, I feel like at, at this point in my life, anyways, I feel like everything I do influences uh, my work. 
it's hard to explain because I don't look at it as a balance, you know, um, and I'm, I'm a naturally curious person. I was talking to somebody the other day that like one of the things I love is being an amateur, you know, um, and what that, what I mean by that is like, I love learning something and invariably when, when you start to learn something, it's really hard, but then you start to get it and you think that you got it. And then you learn a little bit more and you realize how much you don't know. And this, this whole world opens up to you because you, you've learned enough to realize how big that world is. And I really love that. And, but in, in, I don't look at it in terms of balance because I think when I think about learning about art, that influences the work that I might produce here in the office. And so um, I think it, everything that you do in life, it just creates you, it creates the person that you are and that invariantly reflects in the work that, that you do. Um, and it's the same thing with, you know, meditation, you know, I, I got into meditation a few years ago and I don't look at those as uh, at odds at all. It's, it's like a way for me to be a better human being, be a better person and be a better leader to, to the people that, that I interact with. Let's take a quick break. As a business owner, are you continually searching for less stress? more time freedom, and increased profits? Prosper for Business by Mackie might be the solution you've been looking for. Prosper for Business is both an executive coaching program and fractional CFO service designed to deliver exceptional results through increased education, visibility, and accountability. Prosper for Business graduate Jude Hemmen, CEO of Furlong Building Enterprises, said, The decision to work with Mackie was a life changer. They truly care about our success and give us the tools to do so. Working with the Mackie team also helped Julie Bach, owner of the Bach Group, see things in the business she hadn't seen before that led her to the business being more efficient, productive, and profitable. Does Prosper for Business sound like the right next step for your business? Visit MackieAdvisors.com slash smallgiants. That's M-A-C-K-E-Y Advisors.com slash smallgiants to learn more. And now back to the podcast. You know, I, I got into meditation uh, a, a while back, a few years ago as well. And, and I remember joining you at Rob Dubay's mm. first silent retreat in Colorado um, I, I was scared to death, and you, you and, yeah. <laughs> you and me are both uh, both come from the the side of being introverted, and uh, and so I wasn't afraid of silence because I welcome silence. I I just was afraid of not being connected. But we went on this this four day retreat, and I know you've been several times since then. Yeah. Um, why has that part of life been important to you? Yeah, it's funny that you say uh, the con feeling connected. Um, on the silent retreat, it always amazes me how connected you can feel to another person without even talking to that person for several days. It's just really amazing how this uh, you, that you can feel somebody's presence without having to to talk to them, and and a connection can can be created. I just think that the the silent retreat is a way for me to kind of reset 
get some clarity and allows me that time to uh, reflect uh, on my life and the person that I am and learn more about myself. I mean, it it sounds funny, but um, that's the biggest benefit that I've gotten um, from from the silent retreats. Uh, I, I just learned so much about myself that I didn't even know was there or that I didn't even know that, that I needed to know about, you know, it, it's, it's really surprising. Like one, one, the, the first one that we went on, Paul, um, that, that one was really um, just, you know, looking back on it now, just so important for me. Um, you know, I was during the silent retreats, you, um, a lot of um, meditation, but you know, you're doing sitting meditation and walking meditations and yeah, eating, mindfully eating, you know, uh, they, they, you're, you're supposed to refrain from not only talking, but writing and reading and, you know, making eye contact with people. So it's, it's uh, a lot of time to kind of reflect and just be there in the moment. Um, I remember, you know, Walking um, during one of the, the, the days of the med- uh, of the retreat, we were walking out there on the courtyard and doing a walking meditation. And basically, what that is is you're walking very very slowly, trying to pay attention to every single step, and using that as as an anchor for your attention. And of course, your mind will wander during uh, the meditation, but once you kind of realize your mind wandering, you kind of uh, anchor your attention back back to the steps and the, the, that's what the walking meditation is for instead of focusing on your breath you you focus on the steps and I remember doing this uh, in the courtyard one day and it was um, a really brisk morning uh, the, there was a little snowflakes falling on the ground um, it was cold enough for snow to fall but not cold enough for it to stick on the ground and it was, the sun was out shining on my face. And it was just a beautiful morning. And I, I was doing the walking meditation. And in this just moment of beauty, I just felt really, really grateful. Um, and um, just was grateful uh, to be there. And, and I thought, man, my first thought was actually, man, I'm so glad I bought these shoes. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and it was, it was because I just bought these, these Nike shoes that were really flexible and it just allowed me to feel every single step. And I really, I just really appreciated having those shoes. <laughs> and then, and then I thought the next thought that popped into my head was, man, I'm really thankful that I'm able to walk. Not everybody can walk and do this walking meditation and, and have, have this moment and the next thought after that was, I'm really grateful to just be here. You know, not everyone has this luxury of, you know, taking a week off of work and being in the beautiful mountains of Colorado and literally do nothing. Right? That's a, that's an ultimate luxury that that I was able to uh, to give to to myself. And in this moment of thankfulness and gratefulness. I thought of my dad and uh, I, I asked myself, I wonder if, he, if he's proud of me. And this is a, a question that I've asked myself over and over again many times 
um, throughout my life. Even when he was alive, I, I asked myself this. And, and after he died, I asked myself this. And usually the, the thought would stop there. But, there that, but this moment, that day on the mountain, another question popped into my head that, that just struck me so, so much, which was, I asked, uh, does it even matter? And like out of all those hundreds of thousands of times that, that I asked myself if my dad was proud of me, that was the first time that uh, I ever thought of it even mattered. And that was so shocking that I kind of just like woke up from, from, you know, this, this daydreaming and, you know, went back to my steps. And later on that night, I, after, after dinner, I went back to my room and, and, was trying to, um, you know, settle in for the night. You know, it's it's a pretty early. I think we get back at like seven thirty at night. I had taken a shower, brushed my teeth, straightened out the closet. You know, you know, made sure everything was nice and neat on the desk. And after all that, it was probably like seven forty-five. You know, and uh, I still had lots of time on my <laughs> hands. And, uh, and I just I just kind of lay there in bed and just thought about my day and remember this moment that I had in the courtyard and and I was like huh that's interesting this this moment that happened and that it reminded me of something that the 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 meditation teacher said at the beginning of the retreat which was while we were here uh, think about what what you can let go of and when she said that I was you know, this was at the beginning of the treat. I was like, you know, I don't think there's anything I need to let go of. You know, I have a great life, a great marriage. Um, I love my work, my job, our company is doing great. I can't really think of anything to let go of. And then that night I thought, huh, maybe this is something that I need to let go of, this feeling of needing affirmation from, from my dad, you know. And on the one hand, realizing that, I also thought that, hey, what if, um, what if this feeling of of wanting my dad's approval is a thing that has driven me to be the person that I am and the success that I've had? And so it was like this one, my conscious mind want realizing that I have to let go of something, but my subconscious tell, telling my mind that, hey, you know, trying to hang on to it at the same time. So it was, uh, it was, uh, this, just this conflicting feeling that I had. And I, I remember thinking about that and I was like, huh, that's interesting. I don't think I can solve this tonight. And I just went rolled over and kind of went to sleep. And it's just like, sometimes, uh, things don't have a neat answer, you know? Um, and that was a, an important lesson for me, I guess, that, that, that night. Yeah, not, not everything needs to be solved. Right. And, uh, and I think that conflict, so to speak, between those two thoughts probably have driven you in, in uh, great regard through, throughout your life. And, yeah. and that, that's okay. Yeah, now years later, you know, thinking back at that moment, you know, I didn't know it at the time, but, you know, now I have come to understand that those two things could exist together. They're not mutually exclusive, right? I can let go of this feeling of, you know, wanting uh, my dad to be proud of me. And uh, I can do that while still 
knowing that that is probably what, uh, you know, made me the person that I am. Those two things don't, aren't mutually exclusive. They can exist together. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I want to talk a little bit more about your relationship with Brad, your, your co-founder, and mm-hmm. uh, you guys couldn't be more different in terms of personality. Mm-hmm. Um, he's the outgoing, exuberant one, right. and, and you're the, the silent leader, but <laughs> yeah. you guys are just great partners. And, and here you are, I think, 17 years into your growing business and doing well. And, and a lot of people listening have partners and people that they struggle with and don't get along with, mm-hmm. not to say mm-hmm. it's always easy, but what has been the secret to being able to build that partnership over all these years? Yeah, I think it's, you're right. Brad and I are very, very different. You know, he's, he's an extrovert for sure. He gets energy from being around people. I, I expend energy when I'm, when I'm around people and very much consider myself an introvert. You know, it's, the, the, this is an, uh, this is one thing that I've said, like, you know, Brad loves music, obviously, and he likes to like sing in the car. And I told him one day, Brad, why, why is it that when you sing in the car, I'm the one that has to get embarrassed, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we're, we're very different people, but we work very well together because I think we share these common values. So it's not just, you know, the values had to start from somewhere. I think, you know, the, the, our company values are a reflection of my values and Brad's values, you know? Um, and because we, we hold these things uh, in common, we can be very, very different people and, and have a great partnership. And this is something that I've learned, you know, how to work with him over the years. You know, when he's talking through an idea, I know that, you know, sometimes I just need to be there and listen and that's enough because he's, talking to think and and mm. you know if if i didn't understand that i could get frustrated and you know try to um you know what why is he saying things that are conflicting well it's because he's still trying to work through things in his head and i just need to give him the space to do that and the reverse is true on on his side you know like if, if there's a tough decision or tough challenges that he needs my input on uh he knows that the best way to do that would be to to tell me about it and let me let me think about it let me sleep on it and then the next day I'll have something uh an opinion or a thought that that may be helpful so uh, it goes both ways in this understanding of how how each one of us prefer to to think and where we get our energy yeah it's a great relationship to to watch from the outside as well and and it, and it works so well um you know we're we're in the middle of or maybe at the back end of the pandemic and and every company's been challenged um, in various ways. What would you say are uh, one of or two of your current challenges at Textamall? Oh gosh, it's definitely hiring right now. I think that's been on my mind: hiring and developing leaders in our company. Um, and this, I think, the pandemic has made it just even more challenging. You know, we've. Throughout the pandemic, we've actually really grown as a company, not in terms of size or revenue, or, or but it's just in terms of our skill set. You know, we we learned that we can be really successful as a remote company. You know, we kind of got that skill, figure out how to have meetings um, uh, in a productive way, figure out how to foster relationships in in a remote environment. Um, but you know, we still feel like there is this magic that 
happens when we're all in the office together. And so this, this idea of wanting to be back in the office, I think conflicts today with maybe general thinking on remote, remote work right now. Uh, I think a lot of companies are, are kind of going all in on 100% remote, you know, not employees want it, but also, you know, it's probably a cost savings as well to them. And so um, we're, the challenge is like, how do we, how do we communicate the value of in-office work to people when everybody thinks like the remote work is the way to go? And also, um, how, how do we compete with people that, you know, can basically work um, anywhere in the country from, from, their, you know, from Dallas? So we're, we're having to compete with companies outside of Dallas as well. So that competition for talent right now is, is pretty challenging. And hopefully we'll be able to, uh, we'll see who's right, you know, I think with, with, the, with the work situation. Like it, it may be, uh, uh, you know, a year or two down the road that, you know, this, you know, even though we love in office work, in office environment, the market is just saying we can't get talent because of that. And so we may have to be, um, you know, go to more of a remote route, you know, we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, I'm not sure if there is a right yet, and or if we'll ever get to right. It may be different, and um, right. I have I have a feeling that the sense of uh, core values and kind of sticking to that manifesto, you guys will come up with the right solution over time. Hi, as you think about your own personal leadership journey, is there an area of leadership that you think you still need to improve on? Oh, definitely, I. I think one of the biggest things that I'm working on right now is giving recognition to people. This is something that I'm just not great at. Um, I'm not thinking about this as deliberately as I need to be. And there are other people in my company that uh, in our company that um, are just much better at that. I look up to, and um, I don't know why that is. It could be because, you know, that's just, how I was brought up, you know, it's maybe it's a Vietnamese thing. I don't know, but my wife's family is the same way. You know, there's not a lot of uh, affection, but it's that, that doesn't mean that the, the love isn't there, you know, and that's, that's kind of my fear right now. Like I so very much appreciate everybody that, that works here and the, the work that they bring, uh, the work that they do. And I just worry that that doesn't come across because I'm just uh, not recognizing people uh, often enough. Well, hey, you're not the only one. I was really the same way in, in my leadership role too. And and uh, and people told me that. And and so that was something I was constantly working on. And and uh, uh, again, like you said, the, the love is there. Sometimes you just need to, to express it a, a little bit more so people feel it. Um, right. So... Um, Lastly, what, what kind of advice would you give to someone who's maybe just younger starting out in their mm. career? Yeah, starting out, you know, thinking back, thinking back about my journey, I think I was just so lucky to have met Brad. And over the years, I've come to appreciate our partnerships so much more. And I think that picking the right partner, I think, I think I, I personally got lucky with pay, being able to, to meet Brad and start this company with him, but being delivered about the person that you start a company with, I think is so important. And a lot of times, like we just think about, 
Um, you know, if you're a technical person, maybe you want to hire somebody on the business side, which is kind of what, where Brad and I fell, but they kind of, you kind of just think about the skills, complementary skills match up. But I don't think a lot of people think about making sure that your values are aligned. Um, you both care about the same thing. You both have the same vision for, for the company. Um, having all of those conversations up front and giving that, that decision way much more care um, in, in, you know, who to pick to start this company with, I think is so important. Yeah, when we're thinking about those early relationships or partners, we're really thinking about the bricks and mortar, about what it's going to take to build a business or build a product or survive. Right. We're not thinking them as much about that. And uh, you got lucky. I got lucky with you know working with my brothers who had completely different uh, talents mm -hmm. and didn't always even get along as we were building the business, but we respected those talents. The fact is we had common values that our parents raised us with. And that's right. what enabled us to be successful over time. So uh, it is being deliberate. It is uh, also fortunate that you ended up um, with a partner like Brad and, and, and you guys have so much more to, to give and many more people to impact. Um, hi, I want to end with these five quick hit questions, kind sure. of like the association game. Yeah. Um, just um, name a leader that you look up to. Um, I look up to Sabrina. I know Sabrina's been through the Small Giants uh, leadership program. And, uh, you know, I find people all around me that inspire me. And her, her in particular, she's just so good at not only her job, but, you know, giving recognition to people. So that's somewhat, someone that I hope would rub off on me. <laughs> uh, Sabrina's great and, uh, and a wonderful person and leader. Uh, how about a great book that influenced your leadership style? Um, this is not a leadership book, but it definitely influenced me. It, it's a book called Quiet by Susan Cain. talks about uh, introverts and extroverts and how we need both types of people in the world. It just really kind of just gave value to the person that I am for me, you know, and also an understanding of how different people can work uh, together differently and there's there's not one that's better than the other we need we need all types of people in the world it's a great book i think you recommended it to me in one of our talks a couple of years ago yeah uh, how about an all-time favorite movie oh so many uh there's this movie called uh amelie it's a, yeah. a french movie uh <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful story, but the reason why I love that is that that movie inspired me to learn how to play a musical instrument, which was the piano. So uh, I, I'm a super amateur pianist right now, So and, and it's thanks to that movie. <laughs> how about a TV series you like to binge watch? I just finished uh, Station Eleven. I don't know if you've seen that yet, but it's an amazing show. Uh, it's a... It's a miniseries actually so it has a start and an end it doesn't go on forever <laughs> um but it's about um it's a the the world that it's in is uh is a, a world where there was a, a virus that kind of wiped out a, a lot a big percentage of the population but the the show is not about that that just sets up the world that they're in and it's really about 
community, society, relationships, family, uh, you know, how do, how do we build a community? It's really interesting and re- very well done. Oh, I'm gonna have to check that one out. Uh, lastly, what's something about you that many people don't know? Uh, I think um, maybe I touched on this earlier, you know, like this idea of being an amateur. I just love being an amateur at things. And maybe that's why I'm, my interests are like very broad. Uh, I just love, I love that feeling of, you know, the world opening up because there's just so much, you know, I don't know. Um, it's just a, a good feeling. I love your sense of curiosity. And um, it's just been so great to know you over these years, high and follow your, not just leadership journey, but your journey as a person and your involvement in the community. I want to share a little bit about what I learned today, some great stories that I hadn't even heard before. I love how, um, you know, when you uh, moved to to Texas and worked for that firm that uh, really just wanted to uh, go public and your paycheck bounced and, and, you know, then you end up getting this job with, with Brad, Uh, how you quit your job and proposed in the same week showed that you, you, you have that entrepreneur's risk a little bit and it all kind of worked out for you. Um, how you chose to go into business with Brad and his dad uh, because of the people, not because of the business. And that says a lot about who you are. And I think was a sign of, of things to come that the, the lessons you learned uh, about caring leadership from Brad's dad, that it's, that's a beautiful thing to, to witness and how he was a type of leader probably ahead of his time in terms of this focus on, on people and culture. Um, uh, just hearing the story of how your family immigrated from Vietnam, um, your dad being in the military, escaping from that re-education camp, uh, but then working to to get your family out. And and uh, luckily, you know, you had your own boat. You got on that boat, made it to the Philippines, ultimately through the church to the to the U.S. Uh, but but the impact that that had on you, the strength, the courage, the survival instincts that um, came from your dad. Uh, just incredible. And and here you are, look, look what you've accomplished. Um, but the lessons that you learned um, outside of that are really special. Uh, just from your workmate at the Honda dealership, who you were able to, to spend that time with sitting in that car as it rolled along the assembly line and enjoying the work, but having him tell you that, you know what, there is more than this, that education is important and, and, uh, and pushed you uh, beyond that. Uh, like you just said, being being an amateur uh, at at many things and and having lots of interests and knowing that whenever you explore and discover something new, that just leads to more, and that's just a never ending journey, which is uh, wonderful. Um, the uh, the impact that this meditation practice, the silent retreat, um, the, the ability to just reflect, and how how on that that walk outside. And I remember watching you do that, uh, actually being at the retreat with you and the gratitude that you had. I couldn't have known what was in your mind at that time. Uh, But having the time to reflect, to focus on the gratitude for your shoes, for your walking, the ability to even be there. Uh, And ultimately, the the thoughts going back to your dad. Um, Is he proud of you? Does it even matter? How did those two exist over time? what's important to you and, and, um, and, 
my guess is your dad's very proud of you um and and uh uh and you should be proud of yourself for how uh introspective you are and how much you care uh, about all of this and um and it just goes in in the way that you build relationships your your connection with Brad um different talents common values and that's what gets us through life um uh, and yet your journey continues. You're, you you recognize that there are things you could be better at, like your own recognition for people in the company. But my my guess is they know you, they appreciate you, and and they they feel the love. Um, uh, but your advice also for people that um, as you progress in life, it's going to be those relationships that are going to be the most important. And, and when you make choices about who to work with or who to partner with, uh, be as deliberate as you can. Don't look just at skills. It's kind of like when we're hiring people for a company, right? You got to, you got to, you have those relationships have to fit and it goes back to those values. It goes back to um, ultimately the, the manifesto that you guys created uh, or you gave permission to for your employees to create in the company. Um, so uh, great to hear your story. Hi, and to share it with everybody. Uh, I look forward to much more to come. And I really want to thank you for being on the podcast. Well, thank you, Paul. It was a pleasure. And you've been a big influence uh, on, on me as well. And, you know, we we owe a lot of our success to to the things that we learned from the small giants community. So Really, really appreciate you for that. You know, Small Giants wouldn't be here without you. So uh, I'm so grateful for you. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you, Hyde, for the kind words. And thanks for listening to this episode of the Growing With Purpose podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about purpose-driven leadership, go to smallgiants.org or follow us on Twitter at Small Giants Buzz. Until next time, 